Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about stonewall mechanics and rubber banding mechanics. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games uh, and a recent, what I call it, a controversy? I guess a controversy kind of sprung up in the League of Legends community surrounding the comments uh, of a very longtime player, player since season one, uh, Doublelift, who I guess left CLG. He's not on CLG anymore. Um, Or he wasn't last time I paid attention to it. But he was basically talking about how one of the things that League of Legends does is it incorporates your creep score, right, the number of small minions that you kill, um, in your overall kill bonus and bounty, right? So if you're farming really well in the laning phase of the game and accruing a ton of gold from getting high CS, your your value to the enemy team will increase over time. He said that this kind of, you know, uh, invalidates laning as a concept, um, and that that was and that that was a problem that you know needed to be addressed, and this was a mechanic that shouldn't be in the game. All of that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so um, I, I think to, to clarify just a bit, I believe that that change is relatively recent and or um, the announced for an upcoming season. It, the, the 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 choice to include creep score in your in your uh, bounty was a relatively new change, which is where this is coming from. Um. Along with this, uh, there's been some debate about the the role of rubber band mechanics. Um, the thing that brought this to our attention was uh, famed ship poster Thorin uh, tweeting that um, rubber banding mechanics, belo- something along the lines of rubber banding mechanics belong in Mario Kart and they're for babies or something like that. Um, and so this sparked a, a lively debate. Like many of our topics, it sparked a lively debate among our group. And we decided to, to talk about it on on the podcast. Um, uh, and, uh, the, the, the first thing to, to point out is of course, along with rubber banding mechanics, um, is the reason that you might choose to have a rubber banding mechanic is because there are associated snowball mechanics, um, that you might wish to counteract. And so it seemed reasonable to roll that into, into this discussion. Um, uh, with, with kind of the primary point being that in a game like Mario Kart, there are no snowballing mechanics, um, or no explicit snowballing mechanics, um, other than just kind of, uh, it, we'll, we'll get into this cause I, I had some thoughts on that, but like there are no explicit stonewalling mechanics and so rubber banding only, uh, exists to make, um, the game tighter, like, like the, the, the positions of the different players tighter, uh, to the point where, uh, it's so bad in Mario Kart that, um, you have to be like, it, it is more advantageous to stay behind than it is to, uh, uh, stay uh, stay in first place. Um, and so the strategy for Mario Kart is to stay in like the middle of the pack and then catapult yourself forward, which I think is a argument for it being a very bad design for what you would call a competitive game. Um, maybe it makes the game more fun for casual settings, but, uh, I find that yeah, another, really another comment that was made that, uh, that kind of brought it to the fore, I guess, of my attention was this idea. Um, somebody on the League of Legends subreddit in response to the post said, comeback mechanics in sports? In basketball, threes count for more when you are down 50? Or in other games, does your king move further if you've lost your queen in chess? Doesn't make sense from a competitive point of view, right? Um, this, I think, was actually really interesting because it 
kind of bright lined for me this idea that there is there are some games that I would call neutral snowballing, like something typically most point scoring games I would say yeah. are like neutral snowballing, and then there are some games that are positive or negative snowballing, right? Whether you have um, e- increased ability to win based off your ability to win, right? In League of Legends, this would be if I'm getting lots of kills on the board, if I'm killing towers, I'm getting more gold than my opponent, and then I can invest that gold in items and stuff that allow me to more easily win the game, right? It kind of has that exponential effect. Um, then the opposite could be said to be true of something like Mario Kart, where I would say it's kind of got like a negative, um, uh, a negative sort of snowball effect where the those items that you get in the back half of the race are just so fundamentally more powerful than whatever advantages you can accrue in the front half of the race that it is really easy to kind of see huge, crazy rubber banding, which, you know, makes a certain amount of sense kind of given context if you want to say that, um, if you want to say that it's a party game sort of thing, right? But I thought that that was like, that was kind of a core piece of how I was approaching this because my philosophy is really, look, if you're going to have positive snowballing mechanics, you kind of have to have a couple of negative snowballing mechanics in order to dampen that, right? And allow a, a team to come back. Otherwise, it's not competitive because, you know, games are decided by whoever gets that first early advantage and, you know, snowballs it, right? Um, but at the, on the other end of the spectrum, right, if you follow that philosophy to its logical extreme, you do end up in that Mario Kart situation where really there isn't a lot of competition at play and it's just kind of, you know, the, the, your your ability to be competitive in, in the game is lost. So it's a, it's a very – it's a sweet spot sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I, don't, I don't think that – first of all, I, I think – Maybe you're operating under a, a, a flawed definition of competitive because I think a heavily snowballing game is competitive. It's just boring, right? Because two otherwise equal teams, one gets an advantage early and then they win the game is a competitive game. It's just one where you're paying, playing the back half for no reason. Similarly, um, uh, the game of Quidditch, um, which is a game that I like to rag on, I think we did it in a previous episode, is a competitive yeah. game. Um, it's just primarily competition between the two seekers um to catch the 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 qual- whatever the, the snitch that's what it's called the, the snitch yeah. well so i would say that those two things are different though right because like if if the game is decided in the first like uh, the example that i use in our conversation previously is a version of first blood right right whichever team gets first blood and invests first blood gold let's say we're in the 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 logical extreme of pro snowballing right, right. whichever team gets that first blood and just wins the game but it takes them 45 minutes to win the game i would say that that is a less competitive version of the game than something in the sweet spot and the reason that that is is because there isn't anything that the the other team can do in the interim 45 minutes to actually bring back the game and so the number of shall we say like competition story beats over the course of the 45 minute match is reduced to just one it is decided by that very first interaction and everything else is moot essentially and so a more competitive version of the game is one where all of the story beats that would typically play out over the course of a 45 minute league game however many hundreds of those those all influence the the ability that's not competitive that's that's a more entertaining game two otherwise equal teams where one gets an advantage or like 
if the teams are equally matched, right, then the team that gets first blood should win, right? Like if the teams are exactly equal and the only difference is one team gets first blood, that team should win. Um, that's like you could say that first blood is then a bad mechanic because it values striking first over other things, but that is like a a, a an equal two equal teams should if you have a perfectly competitive sport um inter, and you have two perfectly equal teams introducing an advantage on one side should make that team win 100% of the time um again that's not as entertaining that's why like battle royales so, are more so fun I to watch than competitive shooters that, that is competitive but i think that by example of a well balanced game that has you know where more than that first decision matter would be therefore more competitive and that's what we should be looking for. Yeah, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm going to say this again just because I, I want to make it clear. I think you're using the wrong words, but it's it's fine. Um, uh, I don't see how I'm using the wrong words. I mean, like, because I, cause I that's guess, not like, that's I've, not competitive. What you're talking about is how fun it is to play the game and how entertaining it is maybe to watch. You're not talking about the actual competitive aspect of the game. Right. No, I think the competitive the competitive aspect of the game is in there being multiple chances for like for individuals to make choices that affect the the direction of the game if there are more of those choices that game is more competitive i don't think that's strictly true um again assuming assuming that so so the the thing i think you're you're counting out here is that um in in this situation that that, that we're that we're discussing if the teams are otherwise 100 percent equal approximately 50 percent of the 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 correct decisions should go to each team. And at that point, um, the team that has the one in their favor, which would be the first blood in this case, should win. Oh, Every I see th- what you're saying. Yeah. Um, although I think I, I think just kind of elucidating that, you, there, there's a point there about, like, um, that first blood makes those 50%. Um, like, it, it should, snowballing should theoretically make two teams that get 50% of the decisions right. Um, the team that got the first blood should get a increasing number of them as it snowballs on itself. Yeah, I mean, part of my... See, part of my apparatus is that, like... So, in a way, I don't think that that's quite what I'm describing. Right. But part of my apparatus is that the decision... That the ability to make decisions that affect the outcome of the match is in itself a... Comp- like, that. that is, a, like, a competition beat, right? Um and that you want as many competition beats inside of your game, inside of your match as possible. That's what makes things competitive, right? Like a a decision point inside of the game, <clears throat> and it could be inside of like less than a second. You could have multiple competition beats inside of a second, right? That allow one team to create an advantage over the other team. And so what you're describing is that, well, there's essentially the same number of competition beats. It's just that one of them in the very beginning matters the most and we're evenly dividing the rest of them. Whereas I kind of feel like that's saying that there is only one competition beat and it is in the very beginning of the game. Sure. You know what so I mean? so I, the one in the beginning matters the most, not because it's like it's, 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 uh, it's because we, we, we have, we afford first blood special status. Yeah. And, and, and you're right at, at that point, the one, so, 
I, I think the like the, really, really, what I'm describing is something more extreme than what you. What yeah, you no, know. no, like, you're, I'm you're describing something right. that where a bronze five team going up against a challenger team. If the bronze five yeah. team gets first blood, they win. Yeah, the first the, the first blood gold is so high that it's 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 basically yeah. insurmountable. Yeah, okay, well, I, I and, and, saying, which yeah. is obviously yeah, it's, which it, is obviously the extreme. But yeah, okay. So yeah. now that <laughs> now we spent twelve minutes on semantics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 like it was semantics, but I, I think I think it is kind of important to elucidate kind of what 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 happens here and, and why these things yeah, yeah. can be a problem and um i think part of the criticism of this particular catch-up mechanic the using creep score in your bounty i think the problems with it are kind of uh easy to highlight easy to highlight some of the dangers right like so i think just to kind of lay out a case here the reason that they added creep score to the game I, uh, to the bounties, I think, was to make the game more dynamic, to encourage less kind of safe laning and more kind of aggressive plays. But I think what this fails to recognize is the things that led to this condition in the first place, which is the catch-up mechanic of the bounties in the first place, right? When killing someone gives you a higher bounty, that makes you a liability. And so the safest way to gain gold is just to farm creeps, right? Because farming creeps at this point doesn't provide that bounty. And so you, you've kind of incentivized, uh, whereas bounties kind of... Uh, kind of at its surface level might look like they incentivize um, hard plays from the losing team to get back gold. What it actually incentivizes is very safe play from teams and trying to get advantage in farming rather than in kills because the creeps, creep farming doesn't create any sort of gold liability. Um, and so it leads to more boring games. And so my prediction on, on what this change will do is make the games more about taking towers um, because those currently aren't included in bounty score. Um, and you will still see this kind of very safe game just with less, uh, less emphasis on creep farming and more probably on hard pushing objectives. Um, and yeah, so this, this is, I think where the interesting kind of, this is where the interesting stuff crops up, right? Like I'm a lot less interested in the concept of, um, uh, comeback mechanics have no place in esports or sports or whatever, uh, because I think they do. But what qualifies as a good or bad comeback mechanic? Mm. That I think is a, a, a much tougher question to answer and a lot more complex and interesting. Because I actually do, in a certain sense, I actually agree with with Double Lift, right? That like, yeah, if you are behind and all you can do is sit there in CS, you shouldn't be. Um, <clears throat> or like if you are that kind of liability and all you're doing is sitting there and CSing, right? Like it seems weirdly weird and counterintuitive in order to bring you back, right? If you're behind and you've been killed a couple of times, you shouldn't be resetting your bounty by playing it safe and conservatively. That seems like a very weird place to put the ketchup mechanic. Whereas I think putting the ketchup mechanic on bounties for kills, right? The typical way a bounty work is that when I get a kill on you, I become a more valuable target in the future. And if I get multiple kills on you, I become exponentially more valuable. Uh, in old versions of League of Legends, I think in season one and two, it used to be a thousand gold rather than it caps out now at 500 gold. Um, and so being able to say, yes, when you get kills, you increase your bounty, right? I think that's a very good catch-up mechanic and a good comeback mechanic because it means in a team fight, if we pick up one or two people, we can actually get a pretty outsized benefit um, even if we came out behind or something like that because we're picking up that extra bounty gold. Whereas I think with creep score, because it is inherently defensive and conservative and safe and not something that you know is about um, – 
kind of extending and taking risks, right? Creeps are one of the safest, like farming creeps is one of the safest things you can do in the game. Putting a comeback mechanic on that seems wrong to me. Do you know what I mean? I see what you mean, but I I, 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 I have to disagree with you that, that kill bounties are, are a good thing. Um, just because, like I like like I just went over, um, they incentive they incentivize they, they don't they incentivize not ever killing anyone, because then you make yourself a liability by picking up bounty. Um, like if if the, this is this is why the state of the game is, is is at where it's at, right? Like if getting kills makes you more liable, you are not going to get kills. You're going to try and pull an advantage in some other way. So I don't think that the liability is as big as you're making it out to be. Like, I do think that a couple of hundred gold here and there matter, right? But I don't think that it is it matters enough to encourage a team never to teamfight. I mean, part of this I mean, is look, just look that, at, look, like, look at the League of Legends meta, right? That This is why the early laning phases are, are, are so uh, – it got so stale and why they needed to introduce this change in the first place is because – it's not because um, – Killing people, uh, killing people is on its own enough of a liability. It's that instead of going and killing people, you can go farm creeps and get just as much ad- or get nearly as much advantage with none of the disadvantage, right? If you can go farm creeps and get, you know, use round numbers two hundred gold versus a kill that'll get you three hundred gold, but the 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 bounty gives you a uh, hundred gold liability, you're gonna go for the creeps every time. Let me okay, but so I don't think that that logic works out because if that were the case, it makes only singular characters on singular teams' liabilities, and that means that the other team would be then incentivized to take risks and hunt these characters down, which seems which doesn't bear out, right? Both teams opt into the conservative and consistent play style, not well, one team at a time. Well, that's because no one gets any kills, right? Like you, if 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 the if both if one team is playing conservatively. The other team going after them becomes even more of a liability because one person's building one team is building up gold um, with no liability, and then the hunting team would be building up gold on a riskier strategy that also incurs an additional liability. Right. No, but my point is is that if the thing that is stopping people from engaging in this kind of gameplay is that one-sided liability, that liability creates opportunity for the other side. And that... And How does it create opportunity cancel. for... Yes, exactly. Because the other side no, can no, reap more of... Because the other side you're, you're can absolutely more right. of a reward. It, it, so if it was the liability that was motivating people to be conservative, then you would also have an equal opportunity motivating people to be aggressive. No, 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 no. That's, that's, I mean? that's, that's, that's absolutely incorrect. If you have one team, if the if the liability motivates conservative play, then neither team assumes the liability. Both teams play conservatively. Oh, it, I see what you're saying. So before the decision is even made, both teams agree we're not going to take the risk. Yeah, we is, won't. We won't be the team that ends up with the liability. Yeah, exactly. Um, until you have to, right? Like until you get like the the the, the quote unquote smart play, especially in uh, the last time we really played heavily was kind of. Um, there was an era of hyper carries. I don't know if that was the last one. I think right, the last yeah, one was sure. like in an era of like say hyper carries. Right, the smart play is to wait and farm and have your hi- hyper carry out farm uh, the other side. Um, I think I think that there's a, a lot of kind of branching things that lead to this point, which is essentially the, which essentially is like the assassin kind of gameplay has been toned down a lot, um, just because it's not fun to play against you know instant burst characters. But if there's no instant burst characters, then you're inherently uh, – or heavy burst if, – if there's no instant KO characters, then you're inherently favoring uh, sustained damage characters, which inherently gain more benefit from, you know, kind of static DPS items, 
which kind of lets makes them want to farm um, and, or kind of makes them want to have high gold values. And if that's the case and the safest thing to do is to farm, right? Like this is, I think, a whole cascading set of decisions. Um, See, I actually think that this problem that you're outlining is is much bigger than the the snowball aspect of it, right? Because to to like to shift sure. gears just for a second to illustrate this point, um, in a version of in a version of the world where we do have hyper carries versus kind of uh, bullying and aggressive characters and lanes, right? That itself creates incentive not to fall into the conservative play pattern. The best example I can think of this is Hearthstone Esports, right? Because Hearthstone Esports has very delineated deck types, right? Which we could think of kind of as analogous to team comps, where the responsibility of opportunity, liability, and pressure shifts over time, right? If I'm an aggressive deck going up against a control deck, the control deck is at a disadvantage and and liable early in the game and presses an advantage by outvaluing the opponent late in the game right whereas the aggressive deck needs to pressure the advantage and is at an opportunity early in the game because they have a lot of tempo and stuff like that and they typically fall off and run out of gas late in the game if they can't close out in the first you know before turn eight or nine or something kind of along those lines. And a more extreme version of that isn't even just like aggressive versus control, but aggressive versus combo where a combo deck has an OTK in their hand. And all they need to do is draw enough of their deck while still being alive. And then they play their shutter walk combo or whatever it is. And just kind of instantly win the game that shifts the liability and opportunity and forces a conservative and aggressive play style based on the time, like the time state of the game in the early turns, it falls on one deck and then that swaps at a certain point and it falls on the other deck, right? A control warrior wants to just sit there and tank up and he plays defensive in the early turns before he stops, starts slapping down big fat value pieces late in the game. Right. And it's what it sounds like we're describing is a version of things where league does not have that kind of interaction anymore. Right. Oh, absolutely. You can't play Draven or Caitlyn early in the game to bully a Vayne into being, you know, killed, and then you're going to steamroll the game from there within 35 minutes, whereas the Vayne comp wants to go you know, 50 minutes plus because they know that once they get six items on Vayne, they're just going to be able to, like, steam through the other team. And if that is the case, then it really doesn't have anything to do with the snowball mechanics, right? The bigger problem is that sort of um, kind of, like, homogenization or normalization of all these characters and their kind of, uh, like, burst uh, of, like, where their power spikes are kind of happening as a team comp. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think one one in each play off of each other. Like, I, th- I think you're, I think you're mostly, I think for the, because of those kind of aspects that I laid out about, like, playing against bursts isn't super fun. Um, and because I think in general, like, you know, um, aggro decks, right, like, can resolve very, like, the just the time scale is different, right? Like, you don't want a league team to be able to, close out in five minutes um uh it's, it's so like it's essentially this kind of balancing act problem where like if you have games that can go on 40 minutes you want your minimum game time to not be like five because then it feels like the aggressive one's always better from like a meta perspective right because you can get more games in or whatever um 
I, I mean, that's actually, to, well, to be honest with you, that is literally true of Hearthstone, right? Like, if you want to climb the ladder, you always play an aggressive deck because the games are shorter. Sure. Right? So even if you have a higher win rate on Control Warrior because Control Warrior games take 10 minutes and aggressive deck games take 5, right? You can get twice as many games in and you will climb twice as far even if you only have, you know, yeah, and, and, a, a, a lesser win rate. Exactly. I think that that's a problem for Hearthstone, but I think that would be a bigger problem for a game like League where the time scale is, you know, essentially like half to a full hour rather than like five, ten minutes, right? Like, But you don't think that that time scale just like warps to the League of Legends? You know, like we have definitely been blown out of games and wanted to FF at 20 minutes, and we have also broken the hour long yeah. You know, in super, super late game, right? Isn't just 20 minutes the version of a five-minute Hearthstone game and an hour a version of a 10-minute Hearthstone game? So the, I think the difference is, is it's very hard to win in 20 minutes, right? Like twenty, the 20-minute 20 FFs are not the other team winning. It's recognizing that it will take 30 to 40 minutes to actually close out the game, but it will be a waste of time because we've lost already. Okay, yeah. Um uh, I don't think that's like I don't think that's completely true. I think there are ways to kind of you know I think I think I might have even been in a game where we lost before we could FF, um, but that might have I've absolutely been in those. Yeah, games. Um, but I don't. I think... mean, I've played however many thousands yeah, of League yeah, of Legends yeah. games, so there's a lot of variation. Yeah, in that. Um, but yeah, but I, I think kind of the the back end the the, the kind of playoff part there is that the uh, the the snowballing mechanics make it such that you. Um, uh, that you want to favor kind of the uh, le- uh, the less aggressive play style as uh, as a farming character, I think is, is the way I want to express. It. I think I think essentially these two phenomena feed off of each other. Um, the snowballing mechanic being like so, it's not that the snowballing mechanic does it. I think it's that the um, the the comeback mechanic creates this kind of uh, negative feedback. Um, and I think what you honestly want to do is instead of introducing, like, if I were to make a, a recommendation and anybody at Riot were to listen to me, which they won't, um, but I would say that what you, but the the better solution is to tone down the snowball mechanic in the first place, um, because the comeback, like, because the comeback mechanic is kind of this patchy solution, right? Like, um, uh, we we've talked about this before, but it's kind of like a very band like the comeback mechanics. I think at least as implemented right now are very band aidy solutions, right? Like you're kind of like trying to plug the fingers in the in the leak where it brings rather than kind of like reducing the water pressure, which would solve the problem at its root. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and I think the bigger problem is is if you do like a truly universal comeback mechanic where like your bounty is based on your total gold up, um, then that gets into Mario Kart territory. Um, which, uh, which, which is, which is worse. And so I think the, the, the thing you would, you would want to do is make kills worth less gold, maybe like, you know, maybe even do something as drastic as eliminate first blood. Um, although maybe not that, cause that, that could, um, lead to some weird incentives. I, I think essentially what you want to do is, 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 is bring down the snowball rather than doing this piecemeal comeback stuff uh, for league in particular. You know, I, I, I'm interested because now that I've started comparing it to Hearthstone, I mean, part of it is now I feel like Hearthstone is like a very good game when it comes to this stuff. Um, specifically because one of the neat things about Hearthstone is if you're a control deck and you kind of get dropped, like there are blowouts on either side, right? Like let's kind of toss that out. But like 
there are plenty of times when I've been up against an aggro deck and it looks like they're out of steam, but like they put so much pressure on me that maybe I'm down to like five or like six life or something like that. And it does it, you know what I mean? And then we're kind of in this like top deck war. Can I draw healing before he draws, you know, whatever, like burst, right? Like Leroy Jenkins or something kind of like that. Um, and those kinds of games happen kind of often where, you know, it's not that the aggro deck blows you out. It's that the aggro deck gets you kind of within striking range, right? And then you have a couple of turns to stabilize and there's a real tension there and a kind of will they, won't they. And sometimes you do stabilize, right? You draw whatever it is, shield block and you, you, and Ember Scale Drake, and you pop yourself up by 10 HP and kind of get out of lethal range, right? But then there are also those games where, you know, you're kind of top decking against the opponent, and even, and everything you have in your hand is really reactive to them, and even though their board is entirely clear, you know that they might just draw Leroy and kill you, right? I, th- those have definitely happened, and I think that there isn't the same sort of thing in League of Legends. Like, maybe, maybe if it was easier as an aggressive comp to, like, really burst down, like, towers and, like, get to inhibitors, which I think would probably be the best way to do this in League of Legends. But, like, that basically just doesn't exist and doesn't happen. And so there's a lot of... It is a much flatter game, I guess I would say. So Um, I think part of the thing that you're identifying but not not talking about with with Hearthstone and with card games in general is there's a large luck component. Um, The luck, luck, luck can do a lot to... Like, luck components can do a lot to kind of flatten snowball and rebound mechanics because it, like you can draw a solution um yeah by, and the draw chance. is is not and like the draw will never be advantaged one side or the other right like there is no snowballing with drawing a card because the deck is fundamentally random yeah right? so I mean, this, it does this, to, to talk this for a, huge a second deal i think yeah to talk this for a second this is why card advantage is such a big thing right because essentially right. more more pulls of the uh of, of of the uh the slot machine to get the card that you want or that, that you need yeah but it creates those like those tensions yeah. of like he you know you're sitting there he's at six hp and you're just like I have 11 cards in the deck, and one of them is Leroy Jenkins, and the rest of them are just trash that he'll be able to clear with his removal, right? I have a 1 in 10 chance of just, like, winning that game. And I think that that tension, like, really only comes out because of the inherent fairness of, uh, of you know, like, the cards. See, um, this is funny because I think this gets back to our initial conversation about competitiveness because luck mechanics are universally seen as being anti-competitive, and I, I agree with that because they're things that are outside of like the player's skill they're just kind of things that happen um well so the interesting thing there is that part of see the the game is bigger than that right because building your deck is also part of your like your skill evaluation and like yeah sure maybe you just don't draw an answer you don't draw an answer they have a big fat board and you just can't find brawl or whatever the case may be sort of thing um but like part of that is like you included Brawl and Reckless Flurry in your deck, and you used one or two of them, and maybe you could have waited a turn, and then you could have saved it, or you could, you know what I mean? Like, any of these other kinds of... uh, Because, like, the deck-building part is also the strategic part, and there's a lot more that goes into building a deck, building a 30-card deck with two duplicates, but only one legendary of every type out of 600 or some odd cards or whatever that's a lot more intensive and strategic and skill oriented than building a five-man team comp of you know one of five champions do you know what i mean yeah no no absolutely this isn't to disparage card games it's just kind of 
to point out the fact that luck based factors kind of dec- inherently decrease the competitiveness of a game because you know like i said an ideally competitive game a team a team that is better than another team will always win an ideally competitive game um yeah uh, yeah and i think the thing is is that for league you want that all of that better to take place inside of the game whereas with hearthstone i think it's just as fair to say someone played better inside of the match versus someone played better by bringing a better deck yeah, list. No. Do you know what I mean? A- a- absolutely. And, and I think part of the problem there, too, is that, um, oh, well, that's a perfectly competitive game. That's also not a fun thing to watch, right? Like, you don't, like, for entertainment value purposes, right, and for even playing purposes, right, you don't actually want that always to be true. You, you yeah. want the underdogs to win sometimes based on um, a variety of factors. And the easiest way to kind of build that factor in is luck right like um you know in, in the classic kind of like story it's like a metal or what a, you know like or uh you know unexpected you know they're not as underdogs as they actually think they are right like there's actually you know there's some other factor but in order to get that to consistently get that kind of thing to happen in the real world but you can't rely on having a secret genius on your team is to like introduce a luck factor that sometimes goes in the way of the the player that should lose otherwise um, which I think is fine from a design perspective. It just can't be, uh, it, it can't be like, it should be kind of more along the lines of like the better player wins the, uh, majority of the time getting more overwhelming, the better they are than the other person at the game. Um, mm-hmm. there's some game, there's some game types where it's kind of absolutely anathema, right? Like, um, one of the big criticisms of team fortress two was random crits, um, were anti-competitive and, and in what little competitive scene there is for that game. They're always turned off. Um, uh, Intruders, I think, you're a good example of, of a game where you don't have any sorts of of these mechanics. Um, along that wow, line, really, they had they they had random crits. It wasn't like headshots. Uh, I think there were also headshots. There definitely were also headshots, but there were random crits. Uh, um, uh, the uh, just kind of along those lines. Something that I that I wanted to to point out was that you know I think a very reasonable response to this would be like, well, why not have no snowballing mechanics in the first place in your game? Um, and I think this is just something I, I wanted to explore and talk about a little bit is, um, in a game like League, um, in a game without points generally, um, mm-hmm. you need some way for progress to matter. Um, and the easy, like, in, in League of Legends, if there were no snowballing mechanics, right, like, um, at all, right, like, if, let's say, like, kills didn't grant, like, there were no items and kills didn't grant gold or experience or anything, they were just kind of like a, an interaction, um, okay. those kind of fights become like, while they might have like a strategic importance in the moment, they have the potential to be worthless. Um, and so as a result for games that don't have a score that you, you, you want to have, um, you essentially need some, something, some advantage to come from an engagement. And that is why you need a snowball mechanic in order for the game to be compelling. It's not necessarily a competitiveness thing. Like, I think you could play league where like, um, imagine like a version of, of Heroes of the Storm, but even more toned down, right? Like there's, um, like you just get experience at a steady, sh- at a steady uh, uh, drip, and the objective is just to push down the to hit the other, uh, kill the other player's uh, throne or whatever. See, yeah, um, but I kind of wonder how. I, I don't know that you could do a MOBA because I think you could argue that players that bet kill like clear creep waves 
and bunch up a huge number of creeps, that's a snowball mechanic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I don't think that like, that's... It's kind of hard to pull the snowball out of it. So I don't, I don't think that's so much a snowball because it's not like those creeps... Like, it's not like you get better at playing the game from that, right? Like, that's just, like, making a tactical decision, uh, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, like... Yes, those creeps, that, that creep wave will be better at knocking down towers, but once they're gone, or if they get, like, counter counter knockdown, it's not like mm-hmm. the next wave of creeps is going to be any better. Um, gotcha. And so I don't think it quite counts as a snowball in that effect, in, in other than, like, we were talking about this in our, in our private chat, but there's some minor snowballing mechanics to everything, right? Like, in a, in a basketball game, right, there are no overt snowball mechanics, but a score lead is a snowball in the sense that as the time in the game ticks down, the rate of points that you need to score as the opposing team in order to catch up gets higher. And so... Yeah, and hypothetically, there's, like, a psychological advantage that comes from that. Yeah, right? yeah. Playing I, while you're ahead is different psychologically than playing while you're behind. And even without the psychological component right if i have if if you're up by 10 points and i have 10 minutes left i need to score a point a minute if i have 10 uh, a minute left i need to score 10 points all in that one minute and that's harder to do and so that's like a snowball ish effect yeah yeah okay i i agree with you that makes sense i think it's a certain amount of like snowball mechanics have to modify like the player yeah if that if that is the case but i but to be honest with you i think it's just i think it's just simpler than that i think people what, this kind of goes back to our violence episode, but I think people just want to fucking dunk on people. Yeah. And getting snowball effects makes that the case. And the main evidence I have for that is the transition over time from Call of Duty as effectively a fair point-based game. Like, you know, maybe we would go all the way back to, like, Halo or something, right? Which is effectively a fair point-based game, right? You just get more kills and you win team deathmatch or whatever. But now you have like kill streaks and stuff like that, where if you are killing more people, you are activating fucking you know I don't know like missile strikes and all this other and all this other shit. And it's just more fun for people to be you know to be the recipient of the snowball, right? And so the games build themselves around this chassis, I guess, of Oh, excuse me. They build themselves around this chassis of, well, if we're going to give people the thrill of this snowball, we at least have to make them earn it. And so we make them earn it by doing something that is, you know, intensive. They need to get a bunch of kills in a row without dying or whatever the case may be kind of thing. Um, And I think, by the way, this relates back to something that we talk about with tabletop all the time. And it's that mechanical mastery, right? Like, I think part of the reason that Starfinder isn't as fun as Pathfinder is specifically because the rules cannot be abused to the same level that you can abuse the rules in Pathfinder. And so because the game is so well balanced, there isn't that great feeling of like, oh my god, I found some crazy interaction between these three feats or whatever, and I'm going to use that in order to make myself super fucking awesome and go and brag to all my friends about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think... I think I, I think that's that's I think that's similar, right? Like I, I think it's more of a specialization argument, but it's essentially the same thing, right? Like if you can't make yourself, yeah, 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 very good at, at super good at one thing, um, that differentiates you from, from your team. And I, I think I think you got an interesting point with this dunk on thing because I think I think around again around the time that we stopped playing league, um, there was this thing that came out where it said that. Um, people say they want close games, but they don't. They want to win games. Oh, yeah. This is the thing. Jeff Kaplan talked about this in relation to Overwatch, right? The very last day I played League of Legends was May 24th, 2016. The reason I remember that is because it is 
literally the day Overwatch came out. Overwatch came out and we played that really hard for about a month or two until WoW Legion kind of like pulled me back, right? But yeah, as part of as part of um, like the launch of Overwatch and talking about like Overwatch's competitive mode and all these things, Jeff Kaplan. Uh, I think he had like a Twitter thread or, or maybe it was in Reddit or something like that. And he kind of explained like, if you ask people what kind of games they want, they say they want close games. They want 50-50 games, right? But if you ask people at the end of a match, at the end of every match, how much fun they had in that match, they have more fun in the blowouts than they do in the close games, and they are pissed when they lose. So, really, people want to play in blowouts where they're just dominating the opponent, right? Yeah. No, I, I, and I, they I, don't want to play games they lose, which, you know, it's kind of intuitively makes sense, but I like the idea that people say, oh, you know, yeah, I want to win about 50% of the time, right? Like, I want to play a tough, good match kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, so so I, I remember something, maybe it was from Riot Light or something, but it's something very similar that's a little bit different, but it's essentially that people don't dislike blowouts that they win as much as they say they do. Um, and I think that there is a point where like a super blowout gets boring, but um, I think the bigger thing is people like close matches if they win and they hate them if they lose, right? Like it, it, it sucks yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. it's, it sucks to yeah. lose a close match, right? Cause, cause, yeah, you know, I think everybody says that like, oh, hi. I'm a spirit. I don't know why I'm going British for this. I'm a spirited sportsman, and and good good game, old boy. Like you know, nobody ever does that. Yeah. Everybody's always like, "Fuck you," you know, like you stupid piece of shit. Because <laughs> you know, yeah, that does suck. That sucks a lot. Yeah, it's like uh, it's what's what's the um uh the, the expression is like second place is like you know least last or whatever, right? That like you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's even, even when you're do when you do really well, right? Like some of the most disappointing games of Apex aren't the ones where we like, you know, go hot and die immediately. It's the one where we get second place or third place, right? Yeah. Um, you know, any battle royale game. And this, this is really interesting because this is kind of like, um, this kind of like dunking people want to dunk and people want to snowball thing I think is like really well ta tailored to this kind of battle royale revolution that we have because it kind of takes the uh the the sting of the loss out of it um mm -hmm. uh which we've talked about before but um there's no rubber banding mechanics in battle royales because once you start to lose because because you know it's not like you ever need to come back because coming back involves playing another game um yeah yeah and you know and i have to say that it's really interesting because, like, so if you remember, there was one time where a friend of the cast, who I will not name because I'm about to shame him really hard, uh, we were playing a lot of in-houses, and a friend of the cast who was bronze said that he was about as good as I was in League of Legends, and I was a very prideful boy at the time, and I systematically went through over the course of the night and checked, like, a hundred or some odd games of when we played together and I systematically showed that I am statistically better at the game than he is. In most games we play together, I do really well and he does really poorly. But the side effect of that 
you know, kind of small study that I did, which had nothing to do with the intended purpose of essentially shaming this friend of ours who was a little too big for his britches, was that I realized that my ability to snowball in a game of League of Legends actually didn't matter all that much to winning. In most of our wins and in most of our losses, I was almost always ahead and in a good spot with a positive KDA and, you know, like a ton of gold and all this other kind of stuff. And likewise, this other player was typically behind. He had a, he had a more, he was negative in his KDA and he was, you know, at a gold disadvantage to his opponents, but it was you who was the deciding factor. The deciding factor of whether or not we won or lost the game was whether or not Mango played well (laughs) or played poorly, essentially. And that was such a demoralizing thing because I realized it didn't matter how I played. I always did well, and we were going to win not based on my performance and not even based on this other player's losing performance, but on one member of our team who was not me. And how frustrating is that to learn? That even if you do take advantage of all of these snowball mechanics and just like fucking house your lane and go help other people or whatever like all of that stuff doesn't doesn't fucking matter it just all depends on whether or not mango does well or does poorly <laughs> so i i think it was with the benefit of hindsight i think that's that's a useful thing but i think that that kind of misses some other things which is like if you do really well and you come help mango right like then mango has a better chance of winning and thus mm-hmm. you know i i think it's more of a signal and less of a direct cause, but I think I, I think it does hold water, right? And I think part of this yeah. too is that you know, you know, even at our best, none of us were like near pro levels, and so oh, definitely not, yeah, definitely. And not. so I, I think there's a tendency, I, th- I think, in, in all this kind of to, to play more as a group of individuals than as a cohesive team necessarily. Um, I, I see this kind of thing happen even even in today, and this is just kind of like the nature of being pe- people who want to play the game they want to play and not necessarily be perfectly oiled machines. Um, and at that point, um, those snowball mechanics can work if you've got better team cohesion because, you know, your victory is our victory, comrade. Um, whereas yeah, whereas yeah. If, uh, if we're playing more as individuals, um, the individual strength of those things cannot overcome an entire other team. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's uh, an, an interesting point. And I, and, I, and I think it plays into kind of how we look at and how we think about snowball mechanics. Because, you know, like, my viewpoint when looking at that data says, well, the game is clearly fucking wrong. If I'm snowballing, clearly, you know, like, we should win. And that's what, you know, like, and that's what matters. But that's kind of like the solo queue ELO hell version of the argument. Yeah. Which I have also argued in the past is wrong, right? Um and but but I think that like that's very much a thing where people play a game and they do well and they lose the game and they lose league points or whatever their system is now I have no idea right and they feel like that sucks uh, and that sucking is because there is something tied to being the being the recipient of the snowball and being able to just like shit all over the enemy team but your team drags you down and is a dead weight and you just can't close out because like one man can't carry sort of thing. Um, yeah. And that's a that is a much different that's like a harder beast to slay I guess I would say yeah this this is interesting because I wonder if, if a lot of these kind of like I don't remember these things being as bad before there was a lot of like kind of integrated uh, ratings type stuff like 
even back, like, I think the first game that had, like, any form of this was maybe Halo 2, and you had a level, and the level mostly trended upwards, but could trend downwards, but it was very opaque to you, um, so you weren't exactly sure of it, and I, th- I even see this thing in games that are more arena shootery, like, more classic shooter, to, to, yeah. use a, to use a quote, losing, and this happens in COD too, is losing isn't as big a deal because there's not a lot of real consequence to it and you can still feel good about yourself if you individually performed well whereas in a game like league where if you lose the game you lose status and it's all yeah, kind you're of playing the meta game right yeah and you are losing the meta game of uh of getting plus or minus league points yeah it doesn't matter if you played a really good game like you can't feel good about yourself if you played a really good game or you know the, to whatever extent that is true you feel less good about your own individual performance um i think part of that is that it is a more team-based game right like if you're playing team deathmatch and your team loses but you still have like a 3-0 kda then you could be like oh well whatever but i think that's because tda tends to can be a little bit more free-for-all you can play it team i, I don't want any of the the competitive the, the fps yeah. players out there to be like oh teamwork is important because it is but you can you can play a a, a, a team death uh, TDM game um, as a bunch of individuals, and it goes okay. I play this in in, in uh, Destiny all the time. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because one kill on one player is just as valuable as another kill yeah. on another player. Because Whereas there are I no snowball mechanics. Like uh-huh. um, yeah. Well, I, and I think in League, which like it has a lot of like kind of cooperative mechanics, because you know part of the game of League is about solving this puzzle of you have three lanes and then a jungle. So how are you going to split? You know three high gold incomes and one kind of low gold income among five people, right? Like that, that's a real question to kind of like answer and you have supports and you have tanks and, you know, like that kind of team-based play doesn't really pop up in, uh, in destiny or in shooters as far as I'm aware. Um, though I am also very uneducated on that topic, so I could be, I could be wrong. Yeah. So there is like, because there's no, because there's no snowballing effect, like there's none of that kind of like, need to divvy up incomes type of thing. I think part of it is also that even in high TTK, high time to kill games, um, it's not like you, uh, it's, it's not like, uh, you die particularly slowly anyway, right? Like in a, in a game of, in, in a league fight, right? Like I think the kind of expectation is if two people meet each other in the woods, um, that there's a good chance that that will end in zero deaths. Um, Whereas in a shooter, oh, um, interesting. it is almost unheard of that, that, that people get away, right? Like, you, you see a little well, bit of this it, in Apex because there's really high TTKs, but uh, it's mostly a matter of one person wins and that's and, – and then you respawn and that's you know you, you move on. I mean, Overwatch would be an example of a shooter where this kind of thing exists, right? Because you have healers like Mercy or Lucio and you have tanks like Winston or Reinhardt, right, where, like, players are – like filling fulfilling different roles and sure. acting and engaging kind of as a cooperative team unit right and getting into team fights rather than in cod where at least my very dated experience is like yeah you can do a little bit like you can tank yourself up and be a shotgun guy or you can be a sniper guy if you want right but at the end of the day there isn't that same sort of like cooperation it's not like there are two super cohesive team units that are smacking into each other in quick play um 
it is it is more common and more individualized than than some of these other games that are more cooperative. Yeah, and, and even even yeah. if you are two organized teams smacking into each other, then each each character on each team is is approximately the same, right? Like it, mm. like it's not like 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 you said there are even if you make yourself slightly tougher and you go shotguns, the, the delta between you and the sniper on your team, um, kind of stats wise is. Is yeah. minuscule, especially compared to. A Whereas, game. if I'm, you know, if I'm vain and I meet the enemy, you know, Nunu in the jungle or something, there's a reasonable expectation that I should be able to take out that Nunu. Or if I'm Lucio and I meet an enemy Reaper, the Reaper is probably going to beat me up, right? right? You know, like those those are the kinds of interactions, and they're a lot more lopsided, um, depending on depending on kind of who is getting on who. Um, yeah. Yeah, um. the the interesting thing there is Apex because Apex kind of combines in a way that we haven't seen so far, right? Like I I guess you know in PUBG I like to specialize because I like shotguns a lot and I like to be kind of close range because I'm not a very good precision shooter. Whereas our friend Monik is a very good precision shooter and so he pulls out sniper rifles all the all the time. But I do kind of think it's interesting that in a game like Apex where there are kind of nominally these different roles, right? And, you know, you have the heel on Lifeline or whatever. It's not it's not to the same extent that it would be in League or in... Or, like, in WoW, for instance, would yeah. also have a, a, an interaction like this, or Overwatch. But it definitely is there a little bit. Do you get the sense that, like, over time, Apex is going to be more team-based? So I, I think I think inherently all these squad based BRs are, are inherently team-based. And I think that I think that the differences are, are relative... I think they're bigger than, like... You know, COD, but much smaller than something like Overwatch, because um, I think I think that the the abilities do make a difference, and I think that in certain scenarios, like there are people, there are, there are players more uh, attuned to being, uh, you know, solo solo kind of players and more uh, not players, characters are more solo kind of characters, more than more team kind mm-hmm. of characters. Um, but I think that those differences, kind of from a ten thousand view, are relatively small it's going to be one of those things where like there's going to be a meta but everybody's going to take that meta way too seriously for 90 percent of players um like that like any three characters will probably be okay um and at the end of the day the characters are i think a lot less differentiated you know on on a scale of PUBG to overwatch right PUBG, everybody is exactly the same as soon as you load into the map Apex, everybody has one active ability, one passive, one ultimate, right? Overwatch, everybody has a passive, two active abilities, an ultimate, different guns, depending on your loadout, that are always going to end up being the same. Uh, Different health with different stats, and maybe some of your stuff is shields, you know what I mean? Like, the stats differentiation on Overwatch is definitely much more complex. Whereas, like, for instance, I don't know that I would say in Apex, would you say this, um... That there is some class that is better at sniping or better at shotguns than any other class. Um, Do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like it's pretty equidistant among all the different classes. You could go long range or close range. I think you could make an argument, right? Like, um, like you could make the argument that Pathfinder is better at shotguns because he is able to close distance faster with his grapple, and so he's more effectively able to use them. Um, you could also, I think, make that argument for uh, for like. Gibraltar because he can with his dome shield 
um, and his passive shield able, like, you know, in order to fight Gibraltar in his dome shield, you have to enter it, and so that will make him better with a shotgun than, say, Okay, like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, 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 but I, think I see that. I th- but I think those are kind of, like... Those are very marginal, yeah. I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, it doesn't... And you could even argue the opposite way, like, you could just as easily say, well, Pathfinder can use his grapple to get into high locations with great visibility, and therefore he would yeah. be a better sniper. Yeah, yeah, so, a- absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I like, I... I think there are, like, tendencies, maybe, is the best way to put it. Um, but I don't think that any of them are, like, strictly better, right? I don't think if... if uh, I, And I think that's just kind of the conventions of the Battle Royale genre, right? You have to make every right. every class be able to be approximately viable with any combination of guns because there's no guarantee that you, you have, you know, every option in front of you. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um uh, and like, 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 yeah, like you said, I think those are are relatively minor uh, in the first place. I, I think that there's this that that um, this P, like this this class based stuff is 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 very kind of uh, what's what uh, very kind of uh, hard to do with PvP, right? Um, without it coming down to like a, a, a super meta fest. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I absolutely think that. that I mean. We'll we'll probably end up talking a lot about Anthem and, you know, like, the difference between Anthem and other games in in the back half. But one of the things that I like about Anthem that I didn't like about Destiny and I think only exists about because for PvP is that in Anthem, your abilities are very powerful and, like, a really big defining aspect of your character, right? But in Destiny, I think there is that need to kind of flatten the abilities and the like the the character like for instance the character models it would be tough to bring in a colossus versus an interceptor into destiny or something like that because there's kind of an expectation that all of the silhouettes are going to be about the same for the crucible right yeah and that may and so like giving an interceptor that insane movement speed would really like unbalance things but in a pve only game you can do those things right and you can kind of grant whatever like the colossus uh, a, a shield that he beat sticks people with and it does like a bazillion damage because like because it's in a pve environment it is you are much freer to kind of power up the the um to kind of like power up the player um yeah and so yeah i think that like that that also really affects things um yeah, this, is, this is interesting and uh, you know i might call this the transition point into our weeks because whatever um sure but uh uh this this is interesting because this is the thing that i think happens with games with how do i i'm gonna call it interesting loot right like in uh something like anthem in a diablo 3 in a world of warcraft um, yeah, World of Warcraft is a great example of how this interaction in PvP is really tough to balance. Yeah, like you, th- there's this impulse to kind of uh, boulderize, for lack of a better term, any kind of special advantages because um, some of them are just going to kind of roll face and 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 and, and really kill things. This is actually, um, I know that Warframe PvP is generally ignored; be- it's there, but it's generally considered bad. That's because the frames aren't really balanced against each other. Um, um, I think there's even an argument there that the frames aren't really well balanced against each other in PvE. It just doesn't matter as much. Um, uh, but uh, I, th- I th- this is really interesting because I think that um, in order to do like really cool things with your items and whatnot, and to have a really interesting sandbox, putting that in a PvP context instantly makes that 
basically unsustainable because if you have if you have really interesting items in the sandbox there's going to be somebody who figures out like the really broken way to use that and if you can do that that's fine in pve because kind of the players are always succeeding but if that enters the enters pvp at all it, it kind of screws everything over i think this is why you see like um all the thousand iterations that wow has gone through trying to get pvp to be satisfying and i don't think well so interesting so i think wow is an interesting example of this because i actually do think wow does this fairly successfully and it's just because they kind of cordon it off for instance in legion your legendary effects did not work in pvp in like like in ranked kind of instance pvp but they did work in world pvp right and like in world pvp just like a rogue could come up to you and just like completely blast your face off because he has like a certain legendary combo that's like fucking insane and you know and it's crazy but like there's not that same expectation of sort of like fairness yeah or whatever um and so there's that like pvp pve divide uh this is also by the way something that um this is also by the way something that hearthstone does right where the pve content doesn't look a lot like the pvp content because the pve content you know if you're doing kobolds and catacombs dungeons or you're doing rastakhan's rumble um rumble run you are explicitly getting advantages that they never would have allowed you right in a pve like in a pvp kind of context or if they did that's not that's not entirely true if they did they would only allow it for a very short window of time five days in a tavern brawl right where the novelty of it and the sh- kind of like the overall shakeup never allows for the you know like the obvious imbalance to kind of like work against the system if every if every you know if there was just a uh, a mode that allowed you to use the really broken stuff from uh, the single player content in Hearthstone as like a tavern brawl sort of thing, people would very quickly sort of solve that problem. But it's a lot harder to solve that problem inside of five days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And even if you can't solve the problem, it's not a big deal because it's yeah. And yeah, I mean, and by the way, that has actually absolutely happened. Um, one of the interesting things is that uh, the the tavern brawls are all done by one guy, and he tweets pretty often about how he designs his tavern brawls. And one of them that he talks about is a tavern brawl where everybody starts as one of the death knight uh characters in uh from knights of the frozen throne so like garrot like the you know uh scourge lord garrosh or frost lich jaina um but frost lich jaina was just so powerful that even in the first day everybody realized that the only character that was worth playing was jaina and that was it um and so that brawl was really bad because it could be solved inside of a single day and you know even if that's the case that only lasts for four days and it's not a big deal kind of thing because you know next week you're going to get something new but like yeah when things are that imbalanced uh and when when pvp interacts with your systems in that way it can really shake out fast yeah um yeah, and it's, it's kind of a sh- like it's kind of a shame because like Destiny does separate balancing for the sandbox and for PvP, um, which I think is necessary. It's a shame because like I don't think you can. It is impossibly hard to do something like that. Would be really cool, like a a Diablo three style PvP without it just kind of being unplayable, essentially. Uh, in a in, in like a in a way that was that would be satisfying. Um, like it can't be a focus. I think it can be like a fun, like you know, side mode that no one really cares about because you know you can just have your broken PvP built and do whatever with it. Um, 
but yeah, that's uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting. Um, but since since we're kind of semi officially in this back half, how how has Anthem been? I haven't played a lot of it so since an- launch. So Anthem is really interesting, and I want to take you kind of through my journey with Anthem because. I've kind of gotten to a place where uh, – so, okay, so here's here's where I started with Anthem. Um, I started playing it, and I instantly was, like, head over heels without even realizing it, right? I didn't think of myself in those kinds of terms, but all I could think about doing and all I was doing was playing Anthem or watching Anthem streams or thinking about Anthem I was dreaming about. You know what I mean? But, like – and that's happened to me with plenty of games in the past, right? Like Total War Warhammer, you know, even StarCraft, that happened to me when Legacy of the Void came out. Um, but, like, the interesting thing is that when that kind of thing sets in, I'm typically more, I guess, like kind of aware of it. And the other thing is that Anthem has received, you know, a backlash. I don't know how big or how small we want to characterize the backlash yet, you know. Oh, um, let's, let's say that the meta score for the game is 63. Uh, I think that's that's informative. Yeah, so, but, you know, there's this backlash, right? Uh, And because I've been watching so many streams and I've been watching these YouTube videos because I'm just, like, so ravenous for fucking Anthem content, I just think about it and I want it all the time, I've seen and read plenty of criticisms of the game. And there are a lot of criticisms that I really agree with, and that's different, right? When I got super into Total War Warhammer, or even, like, the most recent version of this is Battle for Azeroth, right? Typically, when I read the criticisms, I'm like, no, you guys are wrong. You're looking at this the wrong way. You have a bad perspective. You're engaging with the developers in bad faith or something along those lines. And so it was very weird for me to kind of be like, yeah, you know, like the loading screen times really are bothersome, right? Or I have run into some game-breaking bugs and that really fucking sucks. Or, you know, I wish – and you know, like any number of the kind of common sort of criticisms. And I was having – I was like – this is such a weird feeling. Every time I hear someone shit on the game, I'm like, yes, that is a reasonable thing to shit on the game for. But at the same time, it's all I can think about and all I want to do with my time. Shouldn't these criticisms be making me want to stay away or go, yeah, I'll come back to it in a year after they've added the content or, you know, like any of these other sorts of kind of um, like reactions. And I was eventually watching one streamer who is a Destiny streamer. He's a a very long time Destiny streamer, streaming since Destiny 1. And it was late at night and there were maybe like 800 or 1,000 people in his chat. Um, And these people are like long time fans of his and they were asking him, so when are you going to go back to Destiny 2? And he said, boy, I don't think I'm going back to Destiny 2. I'm just like, I, this game isn't perfect and I want more content and I want a better end game and I want all of these quality of life improvements or whatever. But all of that stuff is just outweighed by how awesome the act of playing the game is. Flying around in my javelin and shooting guys with my guns and blowing them up with my abilities and my combos, right? It, all of, you know, like, all of those other things pale in comparison to the simple, sublime act of playing the game. And I think that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, listen, Anthony's got a million problems. A thousand different tiny little things that are like pinpricks that'll piss you off about this game. But holy fucking shit, does flying around in an Iron Man suit and setting a big host of dudes on fire and then blowing up those fire dudes with a mortar that explodes the fire in a giant explosion that kills all of the dudes, does that just not feel the fucking greatest? 
it does. <laughs> so that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at with Anthem. I also think, you know, to be fair, I also think better Anthem is this is kind of me a week ago in a way. Um, I think some of that negative stuff has really metastasized in the week and is not super like great. Um, and I would kind of push back against some criticisms, um, especially, you know, Bioware has actually fixed a whole bunch of stuff, though not everything by a long shot um, in terms of like buggy interactions and shit like that already just in the first week so it's it's been a real roller coaster getting on this getting on this fucking anthem train yeah a uh, little little do you know that but he's actually been loading into an anthem mission this entire time um <laughs> <laughs> well see you know so that's another thing like the loading screens have never been bad for me because i have a solid state um but i've definitely seen like yep five minute load screens for people who aren't running on the very best hardware uh and i have a lot of sympathy for that kind of thing right like yes now i have a very powerful computer that can handle a game like anthem uh but there are plenty of people who don't and that does, you know, that does kind of blow. So I'm, I'm curious, buddy. How, what level are you? Uh, I'm level 26. So you're not max level. So I've not reached the end game. Okay. But I will say that I think the end game is basically fine based on what I've seen from streamers. Uh, a lot of people have compared this to the release of Destiny 2 and The Division 1, which is kind of accurate, but not 100% accurate. Um, as we've talked about a little bit, Destiny 2 added in Forsaken this ability to, like, farm stuff for different affixes right and that's like the grindstone at the very high-end content you know you can yeah. keep grinding legendary guns for different affixes oh don't i know uh yeah so that is that is a system that uh was launched with anthem and uh and this is this is something that we knew about before anthem people were kind of likening it to diablo where like you can kind of always get a better thing um, so you might get like a masterwork something and it has like good affixes or bad affixes or, you know, kind of like whatever it is. Uh, so I think that the grind is pretty good. What people are really chafing about is the variety of content. Uh, there's only three of the strongholds, which are the, 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 the big dungeons. Um, and there are problems, I guess I would call it, with free play um, that make it a lot harder uh, for folks to be running around kind of like doing like world quests or the equivalent of kind of world quests or destiny's public events uh, these are all these are all the kind of pinpricky like quality of life things that i think do suck about the game and i hope bioware sort of like fixes um, like you can't open up the map and see all of the world quests across the whole map in free play which seems ludicrous to me you kind of have to just like fly around and then maybe you'll get an audio cue and it's like oh hey look over here a bunch of fucking dumb idiots and go kill them and you'll get a chest sort of thing but yeah so this is interesting because I, I i don't think i don't like i'm interested to see how you feel about this in five to six weeks um because I think that that's, like, around the time when this will really start being maybe a problem for you. But you're also the type of person who keeps playing WoW long past. It's uh, you, You've exhausted its content, so you might be able to survive through it. I'm, I'm interested, because, like... So, uh, what I expect to happen um, is Anthem will be a game that I return... I bet in five to six weeks, I'll probably put the... the well... Really kind of depends. They've put out this roadmap and they've talked about the game in, in such a way where they don't want the game to be, like... A movie, they want it to be like a television show where every week you check back in and there's a little bit of new content to do, right? Um, which I think is cool and neat and not something we've really seen, uh, but I'm also very skeptical for those reasons, right? I don't think, 
that's an easy thing by any benchmark for for any company to kind of deliver on. But, uh, you know, like over the next three months, there's going to be a new stronghold. There are weekly events that are coming out. They're adding new items into the game. Um, They're adding in new features. In like a month or two, there's going to be a kind of prestiging feature or whatever that they call like, I don't know, like pilot skills or something like that. Um, Cataclysms, which are their version of Raid, come out in three months. Uh, so hypothetically speaking, there's a version of things where kind of like my Anthem fix is fed to me on a IV drip that keeps me involved in the long term. But I, what I expect to happen is over the next couple of weeks, I will get to that end game point and kind of put the game back down and fall back into other things. Because that's typically how it goes. You know, like right now, I haven't played WoW in like practically months. I mean, I still get on to raid, but that is 12 hours a month right um for you know a three-hour rating session on a tuesday a week sort of thing uh but like you know maybe when patch 7.2 comes out or 7.1.5 comes out i'll get back into doing wow and i'll put anthem down and then i'll cycle between them sort of like coming back out of wow and playing payday or coming back out of hearthstone and playing total war warhammer i think that it will very comfortably fall into that sort of cyclical version of things uh without being kind of like a long-term like a super long-term kind of commitment does that make sense absolutely because i I, that was kind of my prediction for you because i can okay yeah 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 like um i'm not playing at them right now that's because i'm playing a lot of destiny 2 as we've been talking about um but i also know that like I am basically burning through a year's worth of content that I didn't do. Um, and so, like, I'm, I think, kind of trending towards some of the end, or, like, the, the end parts of that stuff. Um, and uh, luckily for me, in two weeks, the new season comes out, so I'll probably be able to extend it a little bit further. But I am sure that within, a, you know, three or four weeks, I will be at the point where I am okay with putting destiny back on the shelf for a little while and i'll probably put more time into anthem we'll probably start mixing it up in the next week or so um yeah and i'll be able to safely rotate between them i also want to play some other games in there too because you know you know march is here almost we've got like sekiro and uh fucking uh devil may cry 5 and we were talking god i was you you do not understand how glad i am that they pushed back total war three kingdoms because I was also looking at, you know, like that was supposed to, I think that was supposed to come out yesterday uh, before they pushed it back to May or whatever. But that now that looks like perfect, right? Like right in the sweet spot. We're going to get, you know, uh, we're going to get Total War Three Kingdoms to like occupy my time and, you know, my time and attention sort of thing. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Is it pushed back to March 7th? Is that the current date? No, the current date is May something. Okay. What is the the current date? Um, I think it's like May 25th or something. Okay. Um, May 23rd is the new release date for Total War Three Kingdoms. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, the, the, you know, like that's the other kind of piece of it is that I've been playing Stellaris and Civilization because you know, like I was doing the new content there. I want to play the new content for Battletech. Um, but I just, I just can't rip myself away from... You know, I can't rip myself away from Anthem. Well, that's not true. I can't rip myself away from Anthem when I want to watch something. Uh, Anthem, I think, will end up being something that I can, like, listen to a podcast through or whatever. Uh, I've been, like, listening to audiobooks and stuff like that while playing um, because 
you, you can kind of keep your ear holes busy, uh, but you're, it's too demanding on your eyes in order to make that, you know, in order to, like, make that the thing. Um, so when I was watching some of the movies that I have watched in the past week, uh, for instance, Black Klansman, Oscar, tonight, tonight of the Oscars, we don't know who's going to win, even though this is going to come out around the time that these announcements are made. Um, I was playing Civilization while uh, while that's going on. But I also know that you went and saw some of these Oscar nope. movies. Because we decided not oh, to you... do a cast, I canceled it and didn't watch any of them. Because I was too busy you playing Destiny. You didn't see any of them? I was too busy Fair playing enough. Destiny. <laughs> well, I do want to talk and a little bit about... Uh, I, did not, I did not watch Roma, which I had intended to, but I never got around to. But I did watch Black Klansman, because I like Spike Lee. Do you, like, do, you, do you pay attention to Spike Lee? Have you seen like Do the Right Thing and... I don't know. One of the other big giant Spike Lee movies. Did he? The right thing is the big one. I know he he did uh, the uh, the NBK two K fifteen story. Um, he he did the story for one of the basketball games. It was called a Spike Lee joint. And I watched a let's play of that. Um, no way. Yeah, um, it was a big thing. Uh, did he did he do um, uh, her or was that somebody else? So her is Spike Jones. Ah, I confused my spikes. Uh. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, wow, holy shit. 2K16. So, Spike Lee did NBA 2K16. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, it was, you know, I will call it uninspired. I don't blame him for that. I don't think this that is a black mark on his record. Um, I just think that it was it was not, it was, it was like a very video gamey plot. Um, uh, I don't know if I've seen any of his other stuff. Like any of his real stuff. Uh, Inside Man is like another one that he did. I mean, he's done a bazillion. Yeah, things. yeah. I'm looking. I'm um, looking at the uh, thing now. Uh, it is IMDb now. I don't think I have. God, that's so weird. This is so weird that he did the NBA game. Yeah. Um, I, it, it was it was marketed like that too. Right? It was NBA 2K16, a Spike Lee joint. Like it was, it was a yeah, big. Yeah, that's, that's what he says. All of his movies, all of his movies are a Spike Lee joint. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I I will say that I don't have. Uh, I have. I'm not. I, I I'm not not a fan. I'm just not a fan. Uh, how was Black Black okay. Klansman? Uh, so Black Klansman was great. Um, in a, uh, in a really interesting way because it is. Not it is like the opposite of timeless. It is specifically about this moment in time that we are living in, right? And like you know, people have described it as a comedy, and it's actually not as much of a comedy as I expected. But the places where it is a comedy is because it's full. It is chock full of double entendre about our like our specific current political landscape right and i feel like in 10 years or in 15 years you know like unless you really understand that this came out in 2018 in the middle of like i i I apologize for getting political but like in the middle of like trump's america you don't understand this movie and like maybe it'll just work because you know black landsman is is a um it's an undercover cop story right and it kind of has a thriller ver- vibe for that, right? There is a uh, a sort of buddy cop pair of a black cop and a Jewish cop who are working together to um, infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan in their area and kind of stop a bomb threat 
um, that the KKK poses in their small town of Colorado Springs. And, that you know, any of these stories, The Departed is a really good one. I really love these stories. There's another one about also about infiltrating white supremacist groups called Imperium uh, from 2015, uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe, that was absolutely amazing. Um, but part but like part of what makes black Klansmen tick is that there's all of this stuff this is you know it takes place in the 70s right and it is based on a true story inspired by a true story but not really all that accurate in a historical sense um but there are all of these places where somebody will say like oh we're not going to you know like David David Duke is changing the KKK and white supremacy to be you know you put them in a suit and he'll go on the news and stuff like that, um, which would later, you know, which are prophecies that would later be true about the 2016 kind of landscape with, like, the alt-right or whatever. And the big gut punch at the very end of the movie is that even though they kind of defeat the local chapter oh, wait, of the KKK... Is, is this a spoiler? Just should we give a spoiler uh, warning? So it is a very light spoiler. Okay. It's it's not a, it's not a story spoiler. Basically, you know, the good guys win, the bad guys lose. Not not surprising. And as all of the good guys are kind of patting themselves on the back, like, yeah, we defeated the racists. Good job. It basically cuts to a montage of the Charlottesville protest, where the the like the movie's like, no, you didn't, right? Like, they're still here, and they're still going, kind of thing. There's a whole extended joke about how, um, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, the detective sergeant who's, like, running the case, um, or who's, like, overseeing the case, but not, like, you know, acting in the case kind of thing, is talking with, uh, Ron Stallworth, who is, like, the, the main black character, He's actually Denzel Washington's son, who sounds exactly like Denzel Washington. It's so weird. And he's like, listen, you need to be prepared for the first white supremacist, you know, for the first white supremacist president, right? And, and you know, and this guy, he goes, oh, I'll, that'll never happen. And, and then the, and the detective is like, no, that, like, this country is more racist than you think. And all of this stuff is just subtext for 2018. And I find it so compelling but also just like really interesting that uh, that they leaned so hard into this because something that we think about a lot when we talk about kind of film criticism is like the timelessness of movies, right? It's really hard to go back to even movies that we thought were great, like Austin Powers, because it has a lot of pop culture references that just kind of don't make sense anymore because we don't live in you know the, the 90s, turn of the millennium. Yeah, yeah the exactly. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, Maybe I'll go see it at some point where I'll see it on like. I yeah I got it on I got it on Amazon because uh, it is streaming. A lot of the other stuff is not streaming yet. Uh, though I guess Black Panther is. How mad will you be if Black Panther wins Best Picture? I don't know if I'll be mad. I'll just be like disappointed. Okay, um, okay. Like I just I just don't think it's I just don't think it's that good. Um, like it doesn't deserve it. Yeah, but like from like a very kind of like a. Like, like from a, like, there are few superhero movies, a few Marvel movies, I would say, that would ever approach it. I don't think Black Panther is among them. Um, like, I don't even think Infinity War, which I think was a better movie than Black Panther, should be up there. I don't think it's good enough for it. So, inter- so interestingly, uh, 2008 is when The Dark Knight came out, right? 
The Dark Knight didn't get a Best Picture nomination, and uh, No Country for Old Men went on to win Best Picture. Would you say that The Dark Knight should have been nominated and should have won in that year? I think that versus I don't remember the other nominees, but it's No Country for Old Men, and I think I mean I could do you want me to read them out? I can read them out real sure. quick. Um, so the uh, the best picture was No Country for Old Men, Atonement, Juno. What the fuck, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. There were only five back then. Okay, No Country for Old Men by the Coen Brothers ended up winning. So I will say. Um, I haven't seen, I don't think, any of the other nominees besides Black Panther, so I can't make I can't make a, ju- a judgment there. Um, like, I guess, theoretically, it's possible that Black Panther, like, you know, given that I think Infinity War is better, it's possible that there's no movie better than Infinity War out there, That so maybe it deserves it this year, um, but I highly doubt that. But given what you just said, I think that the case for Dark Knight winning out for No Country for Old Men, I think, would be a stronger case than for Black Panther winning out over, let's say, Infinity War, just because that's my only point of reference. Um, uh, I don't know if I, like, I don't know if I necessarily... I mean, what, what is the best movie that you saw this year, like, regardless of nomination? Uh, Venom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> um, the, actual, well <laughs> the, the, the actual answer might be Spider-Verse. Um, okay. Yeah, that 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 might be Spider Verse. I, I don't think I've seen. Yeah, I because I, I have to say I'm very frustrated with like the kind of nerd intelligentsia, let's say, um, because there are a lot of people, myself included, who think, look, the Dark Knight was so. P- part of it is about understanding kind of what the Oscars like actually kind of like measures in in a certain sense, and I do think that there is something to be said for like this movie was a fucking phenomenon. And that makes it worthy of Best Picture. For instance, I think Braveheart is a very worthy Best Picture winner. I also think Gladiator is a very worthy Best Picture winner because, like, these things had a seismic impact, right? Titanic is a very worthy Best Picture winner because they have this seismic impact on the culture. And sometimes you might go, well, listen, if I stack up, you know titanic to whatever else sure this other movie is technically better but part of this is about like evaluating the culture as a whole right and we're kind of willing to kind of cheat based on you know i typically call this iconicness right like the iconics that iconic status we're willing to cheat on the kind of iconic status of some of these movies in order to kind of like award them for being icons and i think that black panther and dark knight both have a very good kind of iconic case for winning best picture i I could buy Um, that if you if you if you are a member of the Academy and you say you know what listen Black Klansman was such a great fucking movie and it was better than Black Panther but just like it is insane what these Marvel movies have done to Hollywood and at some point you know I just gotta give it up they are they are killing it and that's crazy Black Panther gets the thumbs up uh, Return of the King is another very good example of this right where like Return of the King probably wasn't the best movie of 2003 but that Lord of the Rings project was just such a huge paradigm shift in the culture and in how we think about and talk about movies in general that I think it is a very, very, very worthy Best Picture winner. Probably one of the most worthy Best Picture winners of all time if I were to like really get down and dirty with this. Um, 
And so anyone who, and so my thing is anybody who says that the Dark Knight should have won in 2008 is being a giant fucking hypocrite because Black Panther absolutely would deserve to win by that exact same uh, by that that exact so, same metric. So I, I so I, I'm going to defend my statement by saying that I think the Dark Knight is a better movie than Black Panther. Um, and I think if it's solely on the strength of its kind of cultural impact, I could buy the Black Panther thing. But um, I don't think – like when I say that I think the Dark Knight has a better case against um, No Country for Old Men than Black Panther does in kind of general, um, that is not just on the strength of its cultural impact. I think that – Yeah, no, I mean I, to be clear, I actually do think I agree with you that the Dark Knight is better than Black Panther. I mean I, I actually do think the Dark Knight is more flawed than people remember. Like, Sure. Boy, that like last little bit. I think the last little bit works and is important, but it feels very tacked on, and it kind of fucks with the pacing of that story. Um, and I also think that it had, you know, like there was a we referenced a video about this. It is a little bit faster and looser with its plot logic than we would probably tolerate in today's day and age. But yeah, I probably think on balance, The Dark Knight is a better movie. Um, is a better movie than Black Panther. Um, but yeah, as long as we're measuring on that, like. You know, some films can just we can just kind of cheat and say they have a huge cultural impact, and that's what we're really giving the award for. I think both The Dark Knight and Black Panther absolutely qualify under those. So my, you know, like those kinds of circumstances. My argument for that is that if that's the award, if that's why you're giving the award, you give that to Infinity War because Infinity War is the culmination of this kind of phenomenon, right? Like, uh, see, yeah, I mean, this is where you and I are going to differ because I think Infinity War is fundamentally worse. Def- Infinity War has really big problems as far as I'm concerned, whereas Black Panther, I kind of get that it's like a little rote um, and, a, you know, like, and not quite as, shall we say, like, novel as Infinity War, but, like, boy, does it... Ugh, I, I have, I have like, big problems with Infinity War that I don't have with Black Sure, Panther. but so if, if – if so, you know, we can disagree there. But I think if the argument is you're giving it for cultural impact, I think emblem, emblematic of the cultural impact is um, – Yeah, I mean another Infinity version War. of this might be uh, – another version of this might be, like, shouldn't we have rewarded it to the Avengers in 2012? Yeah, no, I think Which I'd I agree with think that. Is, yeah. You're like, man, I actually I, – I have a very tough time with the Avengers from 2012. Um, I have, like, a lot of, like, kind of, like, nitpicky, small-scale th- – it's, it's a good movie, but it just, like, it gets on my nerves for a number of different reasons. And I do think that it fucks things up in, in real ways. Uh, but I, would, I think I would agree with that, right? Like uh, – and I think Black Panther is right up there along with it, right? Any of The Dark Knight, The Avengers, or Black Panther, as far as I'm concerned, are more than capable of winning these kind of big, massive, cultural boom sort of uh, – You know, you know like, what wouldn't surprise like, me? Just as kind of a, a, a piece of speculation is if Black Panther doesn't get it this year and Endgame gets it next year. Oh, wow. That would be, um, that would be interesting. Oh. I mean I would, I would be very interested in that because I'm also very interested in Endgame considering I don't have – I just don't have a ton of faith, I guess, in the Russo brothers at this point. I think they like they shoot their action very well, and that's why Infinity War is very rewatchable for me. But I just, God, it kills me that they think Thanos is, you know, a character worthy of empathy and sympathy or whatever. Like, um, ooh, that's gross. Um, I am th- my, so back to the Oscars stuff. Um, the thing I am most angry at the Oscars for is for not even giving. 
won't you be my neighbor neighbor a nomination for best documentary because that might be my favorite film of this year obviously it can't you know best picture is not the category for it but mm-hmm. yeah. um, i really loved i really loved that movie um yeah that is actually really weird to be honest with you especially because like you know some of these they get they get termed as ghettos from time to time uh, and rightly so i think but um it's interesting that something like Won't You Be My Neighbor didn't make it across the finish line because I, I very much would have expected it to if, you know, you and I had, uh, like, like charted this out however long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll – uh... I mean, I don't I, – like, I also – I don't keep track of documentaries. Um, you know, the, the best documentary category, just for people who don't, Free Solo, which I actually have heard about and I have heard is very good. Um, Hail Country, Minding the Gap of Fathers and Sons and RBG, which I didn't even realize was a documentary. I thought that was a biopic. I think there's, um, I think there's, I think there is a biopic. Um, I think there were multiple Ruth Bader Ginsburg Oh, you know movies. what? You're right. Because there's a biopic that was, um, fuck, who was the biopic? Um, Felicity Jones? Maybe. Person in yeah. Rogue One? I think she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, um, I remember uh, the the best documentary winner. Did I ever tell you about Icarus? Did you ever watch Icarus on Netflix? No. Go. The, this is a recommendation for all of you people out there, ladies and gentlemen, listeners in the in the in the wide world. Uh, watch Icarus. It is a great documentary in the craziest way and i'm not going to spoil it and this is like it's weird to say that there's a documentary that needs to be spoiled but this is the very rare and awesome and interesting case where the documentary starts out as one thing and then the filmmakers realize what they have on their hands and transition into something incredible right off of that which is it's like imagine you're watching a documentary about like digging for gold or something like oh we're gonna do a documentary on like 1869 and like the gold rush in california and they uncover jimmy hoffa's body in a fucking gold mine or something you know like it is no like i'm dead serious it is that crazy because like what 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 is like you know i I guess before the transition point what what is the premise for So, so the setup so the setup for the documentary is doping especially in the tour de france right and like uh lance armstrong right um doping and steroid use among bicyclists is is reportedly really really easy and so uh a kind of like semi-professional but you know pretty amateur cyclist who's also a filmmaker basically says i am going to put myself under a doping regimen and like do steroids and stuff like that in order to see how far i can get in you know time trials and the tour de france and stuff like that like we're going to compare we're gonna do like a little science experiment so so it's like supersize me but like better for you i guess (laughs) yeah Yeah, it it is it is like supersize me but like they are talking about you know like they're talking about steroids and doping and stuff like that for uh to kind of like measure the the competitiveness of international cycling like the tour de france it does not end in that place like anywhere near that place it ends in a completely opposite direction just oh it's crazy go watch it it's so good it's it's on netflix yeah it's okay it was so good that I this never happens for me, right? But I was uh uh 
I was playing something and I was just like, oh, this one best picture. It like came up on my like Netflix. They had a big banner about it or whatever. And I was like, you know what? Hey, why not? You know, like let's watch a fucking documentary. And I eventually had to just turn off my game on my other screen because I was just so, I was like, I cannot believe what I'm watching. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah. How long is it approximately? Uh, maybe like two hours. Uh, it's, just, it's, you know, regular movie. All like. right. Well, I, I I think with that recommendation we can uh, we can we can wrap this up unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. I have nothing else that I am looking to promote or I mean to talk about. Whoops, I went a little fast there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, if you, if you'd like to to, to tell us uh, about uh, what you think of Icarus or Snowballing Mechanics or, or Anthem or any of the other things we've talked about on this podcast, you can reach us at some derp, some derps play games at gmail dot com. Yes, yeah, gmail dot com or podcast at some derps play games dot com. Um, you can follow us twitch.tv slash some derps play games. Uh, you can, uh, what else? You can leave comments on SoundCloud. Give us reviews on iTunes. We love it. Um, I think that's it. And you already said you have nothing else to promote. So I'm just going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>